Hey, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium, or welcome if it's your first episode that you're listening to. We're on episode nine now. Yep. Yes, episode eight was... The end of Tony Caritzis and... What'd I do? The Cassis. Oh, yes! The Cauchy. Yeah. Not to be confused with the Coochie. Yeah, well, listen to the last week's episode. You might want to go back, because that'll make more sense to you if you do. Yes. Yeah. Also, um, I forgot what the fuck I was going to say. So if you're curious on what the hell my problem was in a well, previous episode, we had no idea that I was starting to have the onset of COVID at the time we recorded it. Yeah. So now I'm back off of death's door. I should sound normal again at this point i hope so at least to me you sounded normal last time too so oh, i don't know. know but it was more of the scattered brain from the brain fog that decided to hold on to me yeah that was bad for too longer than i was hoping if at all because i didn't really think we were going to get this episode out this week i was afraid it was going to be our first time we we're going to have to postpone an episode and i don't want to do that i didn't think we were going to um make it this week either here we are yay you're welcome Back off a death doorstep, you know, and here we are. <laughs> Back at it and talking shit. Yep. So, um, so what were your thoughts about the whole Tony Kurtz story afterwards now that you've had time to process it? <sighs> that case was bananas. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I had either seen that picture or heard of him from somewhere because some of what you said sounded mm-hmm. like I've heard it before. Right. But it could have been from you talking to yourself on the computer while you were doing research. That Well, there was, and, even before <clears throat> we had started considering doing this podcast, there was like an eight episode um, kind of fictionalized version of this. It was, a, mm-hmm. they had some liberties to it. It's actually fairly accurate. They kind of embellished the truth a little bit by having Tony Kurtz's call Fred Hickman. Uh-huh. He never actually called Fred after he, you know, because it was supposed to be after his trial when he was found not guilty and everything. Yeah. They made it out to me that he called Fred Heckman saying that he's a free man and everything and that it never actually happened. So, I'll read my my bit first. Okay. Um, But to keep those interested, what are you going to tell us about after mine is done? Well, after your mystery random story, as I have it listed on our whiteboard here behind the counter, <laughs> um, I had this I had I had mentioned it once before about in the episode three with Crown Hill about doing the origins of cemeteries. Yes. So that's what I have decided to go on and do this week because something else I had started it was just as confusing, if not more, than the birthday origins. Oh, is yeah. this something that you're going to? Yeah. Talk about at a later time? Probably because one of the years I selected for this event, it's kind of difficult to find anything because it was going on at the beginning of World War II and came to a sudden end because of that. Oh. So. Interesting. And this event, it still goes on today, and a lot of things we don't really think about actually were their first appearances to the world of 
their first appearances to the world actually showed up at this worldwide event that would happen through oh, the years. Oh, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. And my biggest problem is I keep getting distracted by all the pictures of the buildings from it, too, and... So, you did do that. Yeah. <laughs> you even it's a, had it's to a show fucking me. tragedy that all these buildings were either torn down or they had burned down at some point. But not all of them. Not all of them, and you've been in one of them. I know. You've told me. <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah. I'm a little sad that the thing isn't there that I had asked you about, though. I don't remember what that was. The miniature circus. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure what the fuck they're replacing that with. I don't know, but that was, like, honestly one of my favorite parts in there. Yeah, considering that it was all carved by that. one person. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty spectacular. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this week, I am going to be telling you and anybody else that's listening about the Battersea Funfair Park disaster that happened in London. Okay. Have you ever heard about this? No. Never seen anything about this? Not that I can recall. Okay, so we'll get started then. All right. In London on May 30th, 1972, a wooden roller coaster would come off of its tracks, killing five children. Three of them would die on scene. The other two would later die in the hospital, and it would injure 13 other people. Never heard anything about that. No, but okay. all I can think of is I used to do things like that intentionally on Roller Coaster Tycoon. Make people fall off the, tr uh, make the tracks come off. Yeah, make the roller coasters intentionally kill people. Oh, I mean, nobody put. It's like playing that in The Sims. If you never took the ladders out of the pools in The Sims, were you really playing The Sims? I've never played The Sims. <laughs> never have. So. Or also with a roller coaster tycoon using the little people grabber to pick people up and dropping them in links too. That that was the thing also. That's how I used to get rid of the very most unhappy people in my park is just drown them. So maybe I have serial killer tendencies. <laughs> well, yeah, most serial killers are fucking Scorpios. Scorpios and Virgos, I think. Libras and Sagittarius. Oh, yeah. The, the, the unhappy park guest, I picked them up and I dropped them in the lake that was on the map. <laughs> fucking weirdo. Better watch out for dad watch. <laughs> God. Okay. So... The Big Dipper, this is the name of the ride. The ride sounds familiar, but I think there's one also that named that in Coney Island, I think. Is there? Or was. Maybe I'm thinking some other park, but anyhow. Maybe you're thinking of the Battersea Funfair Park. Maybe I am, after all. Anyways, the Big Dipper, which would become the Funfair's main attraction, okay. was brought to life in 1951 at the Funfair in Battersea Park in London. This opened as a part of the Festival of Britain, which basically was like a national exhibit and fair that had millions of visitors throughout the UK. It celebrated and promoted British's science, technology, industrial design, architecture, and arts. What is his name again? The Festival of Britain. Sounds very similar to the what the World's Fair would be. That's... Why I looked at you the way I did, because, yeah. Because that's what it sounded like to me, too. Which we'll have to try, we'll have to see if that's part of. I don't think it is, because it didn't say anything about that. 
You're going to Google? I was going to. All right. I'm going to continue talking while you do that. In the middle of the day on Tuesday, May 30th, 1972, the rides were going strong until the Big Dipper would fail and cause an accident. The carriages sitting on the track began to be joisted up to the start of the ride, but they happened to break and its haulage rope broke, which I'm assuming is the rope that, you know, helped take yeah, this them This was up. built in the 1950s? 72. Well, this was built in the 50s, yes. Okay, which I just find it odd that they're using a rope still to pull mm-hmm. the rail cars up the slope when they're, you know, the chain was used for, like, eons. Even before that, I want to say the, ch- the chain that they actually used this still was, like, one of the first things on the comet when they, the, in Coney Island when that was first built. I, fuck, I'm all scatterbrained still. <laughs> The emergency rollback brake failed as well, causing the carriages to roll back towards the station where they had mm-hmm. left. Uh, do you know what a brakeman is? For a roller coaster or a train? There's For a roller coaster. I'm sure it's just another name for the right operator. And, okay, guess. and what would, in your in your world, what would uh, the operator do? try and stop the train and not make sure it runs by pulling the brake lever that keeps the train in station place at the station pretty much um so in this instance the brake man was actually a man that would legitimately stand on the back of one of the the carriages okay on the roller coaster he would stand there and go through the whole roller coaster but yes his job was to stand there and pull the brake in an emergency and obviously that so wait, this guy is <clears throat> operating the roller coaster from, from the, the roller coaster, and yes. this is what the nineteen seventies. Yeah, that's. I have a bizarre. picture. I have a picture that will be posted along with this. But yes, it's actually a guy that stood on the back of like, behind the first set of seats. He would stand on the back of that, holding on. Which is really bizarre because you know you had the piece built in the nineteen in the same time period at Kings Island using the chain uh, a chain lift hill and you know automatic station breaks and then now here this is the guy is being pulled up by a rope a fucking rope and a dude on the back of it yep standing on the the back holding on so yeah he was responsible for slowing the ride down manually with the lever um when it came to like curves or bends Mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing with the brake failing the brakeman tried everything to get the coaster to stop and obviously didn't work otherwise this wouldn't be a story that i'm covering right uh, despite every attempt that he made, the train gained speed and the carriage at the back jumped off of the rails and crashed through a barrier. Two other carriages then crashed on top of the first one. In total, five children would die, 13 others would be injured to some degree. And I did try to look up, like, what their injuries were, and right. there was only one that I could find that had, like, a broken hand. Maybe a lot of it was just... Bumps and scrapes and broken bones, but just the reporting of one broken hand. Yeah. I know. But it's with these reading just that part alone, it makes me not wonder if that's where roller coasters having more than one set of wheels actually came about after this incident. I don't know. Because I don't know if you don't, I don't know how much about roller coaster design yet you know. Um, they actually have two sets of wheels, one set on top and one set on bottom mm-hmm. to keep the trains on the track. So I'm not wondering if this is. The incident that sparked off that safety that safety device, basically. It could be. So after this accident, uh, precautions got the better of everyone, and it was permanently closed. 
and then dismantled. With the closing of Battersea Park's main attraction, the park lost its luster, and people quit visiting, causing the park itself to close in 1974. Just two years after that accident happened. Okay. Like, the whole park was gone. Almost nothing remains of what once was, not even enough to show anyone that a fun fair once was even at that location. Like, they have nothing. Wait, no pillar foundations? It's all gone? It's all gone. Huh. Yep. In 2015, The Independent, a British online newspaper, published a retelling of the accident... I don't know how to say this lady's last name. Um, I'm going to... Let's try the best that you can. Try and butcher it. Carolyn, Carolyn Adamchek was a passenger on the ride when the accident happened. She said, As soon as we started shooting backwards, everything went into slow motion. I turned around and saw the brake man desperately trying to put the brake on, but it wasn't working. Most of the carriages didn't go around the bend... One detached and one went off the side through a wooden hoarding. I don't know what a hoarding is. Not sure either. Probably some British word for something else we know. Oh, I'm sure that's probably what it is. Like cookie is a biscuit over there. Yeah. Um, she said people were groaning and hanging over the edge. It was awful. The BBC news site published a video in April of 2022 about a campaign started by the survivors of the accident. They want a permanent memorial put where the accident happened. Because, like I said, mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing there. Like, so, there's there's concrete right? where some things might have stood. But, I mean, there's nothing. Nothing right. to... No memorial to the people that passed away or the people hurt in the right. accident. And there's, like, no redevelopment of this land either. It's None. Just None. Empty. None. And some of the, one of the videos that I watched actually showed a couple of the survivors walking through that area. Mm-hmm. And it's just like trees have been, you know, built up and... So it's just been reclaimed by nature for the most part. It, absolutely. There's nothing there. And if not knowing about the story, you're just going to stumble across this marker. You're going to be like, huh. Yeah. So the video shows film footage of the roller coaster while in operation, as well as modern day views of where the coaster once stood. It mentions the theory that the wood destroyed when the accident happened. Mm-hmm from the roller coaster itself, is buried underneath the park. Nobody's actually tried to dig and find any of it. Right. But that's just what they say. It's almost as if the place and this event never existed at all. But that could be how they want it. Maybe they don't want a more, you know, memorial right. to... Just let, let it... I don't know how to put it. What I'm trying to say here. Yeah. Like, they... they I'm assuming it's because they didn't want the the negativity yeah. of that incident being something that could have been helped. Right. You know, if it was, as you say, that Coney Island had better well, it's, police system and all that, like, maybe they were just behind in upgrading their shit and this happened and they're like, we don't right. want that on us. Right, because, I mean, Cedar Point's open at this time. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure. Like I said, 1970s is when the beast came about when it was the world's largest roller coaster for the one roller coaster for the longest time it was built in the 70s so like huh a lot of the modern day safety practices for roller coasters probably existed at this time right but it was this the big dipper was not built in the 70s it was built in 19 like 51 i think i okay, said so i'm no. but by this time 20 years later 
with the advancement of, you know, Coney Island and Cedar Point, Cedar Point, like you would think that they would have upgraded their possibility, but being an ocean apart and right safety regulations being different for each country. And that was the thing. I did find out that they had like damn near no, no safety precautions, no violations. Like there was just not a thing. Like, basically, ride at your own risk. Oh, so it almost sounds like a boomer paradise. You know, back in my day, we could kill a Tonka truck with a moose kind of thing, you know? <laughs> kill, kill a moose with a Tonka truck is what I meant to say. Kill a Tonka truck with a moose? Yeah, maybe oh COVID goodness. still has a code brain fog still has a hold on my head here. Oh, trying man. to make a funny moment and I fuck it up. No, it was funny either way. Um, There was a criminal trial uh, tied to this case. There were three men charged with manslaughter at Wandsworth Magistrate's Court on February 26, 1973. One of them's not the is it? I'm going to continue reading. Okay. The court heard that after a fire damaged the ride in 1970, that instead of rebuilding with brand new, like, better mm-hmm. material... That they spent damn near nothing and bought a lot of secondhand stock to repair. Uh, some of this stock was more than 50 years old and had been brought and used to fix the ride. They said the dog, dog brake, I don't know what that is. I'm not sure. It's probably just the name they gave it, but <laughs> the brake yeah. itself. Yeah. So the dog brake on this ride had not operated as it should have when the rope broke which allowed the carriages to start moving backwards. The structure, which included a walkway for pedestrians, was made unsafe since that wood had rotted out. So when one victim survived the initial impact, the wood broke because mm-hmm. of the rot, and she fell through the handrail to her death. Jeez. Yeah. The ride's manager and its inspecting engineer were sent to trial. After a long hearing, both men were acquitted on November 20th, 1973. And I don't know why it said three men, because it never actually said who the third person was. Huh. It was the ride engineer and, or sorry, the ride manager and inspecting engineer. Never found out who the third one is. I'm not wondering if it wasn't the park's owner or something. Uh, it very well could have been. Because, I mean, Brakeman, he's trying, obviously probably not really... I mean, he could be probably held liable, depending on if he's supposed to check the brakes every day, which he probably did. And mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they work. I'm okay. You know, we're going to keep going. But, you know, just now knowing he slowly is relying, all these people are relying on him to fucking do this. He's going to do everything that he can to get this shit to fucking stop. He's going to fucking float on that shit. <clears throat> and according to some of the people on that ride, he did do everything like the... The lady I was telling you about that she had turned around and she had seen the brake man doing everything that he could do, but right. n- none of it helped. Even though you knowing you're in a situation you actually have absolutely no fucking control over. Yes, but that's it. Yeah. Oh, that was an interesting little tale there. Like I, like I said, very, very short, but yeah. I just found it very interesting. <laughs> and some of the pictures that I'll send to you to add into the mm-hmm. the Facebook group post. Okay. Um. Like, it looks like they tried to make this place kind of like Disney. I mean, you had different regions yeah. of the world within this this uh, park, and it looked... 
I mean, it looked pretty cool for back in its oh, day. I'm sure it did. And that's my biggest problem with doing research stuff is I keep getting distracted by pictures of the bygone eras of stuff, like especially all the buildings that had to do with the World's Fair and everything. Mm-hmm. And just because of the massive scale that some of these places were, and then they'd be like, oh, sorry, fire, just just ruined it. Well, yeah, you that's know, awful. You know, especially the one from London they called the Crystal Palace. It was like just giant fucking greenhouse for the most part. Yeah. You know. And then everything else from the 1830, 1893 World's Fair, it was, which is of the same time as H.H. Holmes, it's where the term Devil in the White City comes from, basically. Ah. But yeah, a lot of that. And of course, once fire, ha ah, fucking destroyed everything. <laughs> Except yeah. for maybe one or two buildings that are left. One of them actually is just a ticket booth, but actually somebody's using it as a garden gen when I was looking into it. Oh, geez. Yeah. But that's a topic for a different time. Yes, it is. Let's let's get into these graves. These graves? Let's this do grave some, story. Some necromancy and grave digging. <laughs> grave digging. And stuff. Let's yeah. do it. Okay. Yes. Death is part of life. So, you know, instead of we need to stop shying away from it, we need to being more acceptive of it like dr jack forkian is yeah. one of those death positive infamous peoples of true crime yep even though people want to say he was a monster <clears throat> until you actually learn his true story you know the truth about him and it's like holy shit he makes a huge fucking a great point and it's just yeah fucking terrible though of what happened to him yeah you know with that but anyhow no big name stuff other than points of references right but right. yes but also like the the states that have the death with dignity mm-hmm. that allow you basically like when you're ready, right? You call them in, they hand you medicine, and it's right. on you if you take it or not, right? Like if if you're ready to be done, then you you be done. Yeah, but of course, you know, since the states are doing it, it's okay. Yeah. Anyhow, before we get in a big ass fucking rant about that shit, <laughs> if you ever you probably heard the term "kick the bucket" or maybe "pushing up daisies," these are you know two slang terms to use. In reference of somebody being killed or somebody's died. Yeah. Uh, they're woven into our vocabulary, obviously, with that. But also with this month, I had thought about how, you know, we both lost, have lost our mothers at this month. And mm-hmm. it made me get to thinking also about our previous episode of episode three about Crown Hill is how did cemeteries really get started? Yes. So that, you know, when I started diving into it, it actually kind of interesting and we've been burying people in cemeteries for a lot longer than we think we have been i want to first start off with you about the term cemetery and graveyard there's actually a difference even though it's an interchangeable term i know this and i know the difference i know you know the difference about this but maybe some of our listeners don't know there's an actual difference fun fact my niece did not know that the first time I went up and picked her up and drove her down here, we were driving past one, and I asked her if she knew the difference, and she did not know that there was a difference, so I explained it to her. Hmm. Yeah. And she actually had to explain it to her without her being completely lost? Like, Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, anyhow, <laughs> I guess we both are thinking about the same fucking thing. Yeah. So... Even though there is, they are interchangeable to these days, there's actually a difference between the two. But the word cemetery that I just mentioned, and also I might have mentioned this in episode three, um, it comes from the Greek word of comitarium, 
meaning bedroom or sleeping place. Cemeteries are also a designated land plot for burial grounds with a non-religious affiliation, so state-owned, county-owned, whatever, uh-huh. as you would want to call it. But whereas graveyards are on the grounds of a church with inside the stone with the perimeter walls, possibly, or, but, you know, more modern-day things, fences aren't really used for a lot of stuff, but... And also have the religious undertones for burials there and everything. So generally, like, if you die from a suicide, you won't be buried in a graveyard. Right. But there's also another term. Is also called a necropolis. Necropolis? Yes. Okay. The necropolis is actually a very large cemetery, but you're also known as the cities of the dead, basically. Uh, one of the very first known cemeteries in the world is in Tafloraq Cave in Morocco in northern Morocco is believed to be the world's oldest cemetery to date where they have found the remains of at least 34 people at this time. Uh, this cave was first discovered in, 19, in 1908 and was named after the village nearby of Talflorat, but this cave is also known as the Pigeon Cave too, but I could not find origins of why it's called the Pigeon Cave. Okay. And... During this excavation from 1908, the first remains wouldn't be found until 1951. Archaeologists believe that they were put here to rest anywhere between 14,000 and 15,000 years ago. That's quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Even though through time, man has been burying or dead in various ways, this could be like the cave that I had just mentioned during the Bronze and Iron Ages. There was also a practice of what they called grave fields was done. Grave fields were often small with maybe five or less graves, and they didn't use markers like we do today. This was more than likely to indicate there was a homestead or a family plot in this small grave field. Some of the largest grave fields that have been found are located in Germany. The Sashbach grave field has over 2,000 graves in it, and the Mengen field has over 1,000 in it, and these are both in Germany. And these were like original, like Mm-hmm. One of the first cemeteries found. Yeah, but this, okay. these grave fields, they didn't use markers like we do now or when oh, they started So using... they just found bodies and yeah. no... Oh, okay. Yeah, like kind of like family homesteads and one of the weird graves that I'm going to close this out with is uh-huh. kind of similar to this, but they actually had headstones. Cemeteries and graveyards didn't really take their shape as we know them now until about the Middle Ages. Starting in the 7th century, burial... Burials in Europe's in Europe were controlled were in the control of the church. Go figure, right? Yeah. And took place on consecrated church grounds where bodies were either buried in a mass grave or a crypt underneath the church if they were of a higher social status, like nobles, lords, kings and queens and the stat- statuses social status of those nature. Yeah. The interesting thing about a about mass graves is that I had always thought through the past is that, you know, like in Monty Python, you know, bring out, bring out your dead. Yeah. Yeah. They're just picking them up, chucking them in a hole, burying them and they're forgetting it. They're actually not doing this from what I found out. What they're actually doing is they're doing a mass decomposition in a mass grave. Oh, so, okay. I, I figured mass grave would also be just chucking bodies into holes right was I, full. Just, I just figured that's okay. what it was is that like oh all these paupers and you know peasants don't mean shit so yeah. just chucking them in a hole to be buried and be forgotten i mean so it is not that no good okay so i mean there's a possibility there was probably during war you know war times that was probably the case but 
So after, you know, the decomposition of all your organic material, your blood, your flesh, your organs, things like that, your bones would actually be dug back up mm-hmm. or exhumed is the correct technical term for it. And you would be, your bones would be placed in called it either in a box or a building called an ossuary. Okay. Ossuary boxes are typically made from stone. Some were made from metal. Either they can be, depending through time and history, stone or metal. Dated, sometimes it'd just be a plain box. Or, of course, you know, if you could afford it, you know, it'd be an ornate box as well, too. And then after your bones are placed in what these ossuary boxes are, then they would either be bound into the walls of the cemetery or within the floor slabs of the church or behind the church walls as well, too. Is this the picture that you showed me the other day? This is... Yesterday? Yes, this is one of the pictures I showed you of an ossuary in Milan, I think I told you yes. it was. yep. But those weren't bones weren't in the box, obviously. They're just boop, boop right in the fucking wall. Gotcha. For most part. And yes, I'll be sharing this picture. Yeah, because it's really cool looking. I'm like, that's a sweet looking library. Wait a minute. It is mm-hmm. not a library. Actually, the Paris Catacombs is considered the world's largest ossuary with an estimated 6 million remains that they have found in the Paris Catacombs. And there's still more, but some areas are so dangerous they won't even attempt the risk to entering them dangerous as in like they could crumble at any point yeah that okay they're not structurally sound gotcha things like and it's a possibility flooded out they don't want to disturb history too much but if you were of a higher nobility like i said before you would be probably buried in individual crypts inside your church of worship and and you'd have the information of your name, your date of death, your birth date on it, and other facts about your life. This is usually depicted with the coat of arms that okay. you see lots of pictures yep. of. Buried in a graveyard as well. And if you could afford it, being in your social status, you probably had a stonemason for a headstone. Which they would also engrave your headstone like they commonly are today. Mm-hmm. For those that couldn't pay for a headstone, would typically have the common wooden cross we see for see for pets and memorials along the highway, when they indicate you know somebody's parish, obviously. Yeah. Uh, oh, now these wooden crosses would originally be used at first to mark a grave, but sometimes families would be able to you know scrounge up enough money to make a cross made out of iron later on because these crosses would deteriorate over time. The wood ones, yeah. yeah. Also, the richer families, you know, being wealthy, they had to flaunt their wealth, even in death, by adding statues of similar to weeping angels or larger crosses or obelisks Mm -hmm. or pillars and shit like that, that you see now. It wasn't, it wouldn't be until the Victorian period where (laughs) modern cemeteries start taking their shape. Imagine that. That's when it happens. Uh, This is one of our first episodes that you've listened to. We've had this ongoing joke about the Victorian period because every time we've looked into a subject matter, it has popped up in one way or the other. Every single story. With this rapid population growth during the Industrial Revolution during the Victorian period, London's population would explode from 1 million to 2.3 million by 1851. And to give you perspective, I have drawn up this map. How big of a boom in 50 years this was. I looked up the population density for London, England during this time, and the population density of London was 4,266 per square mile. That's insane. So over 4,000 people are living in a square mile of space, so 
I drawn out this map to and how big of a space people are actually and how many people are living in the space I'm sure you probably seen me drawing around on this map and was curious on what the hell it was for yeah um so the map you're looking at right now Sarah this is an area of where we live and all the stores mm-hmm. around us and the area that's marked in green equals out to be one square mile worth of space and there's approximately about 4,000 people living in that space but that's insane that is an insane amount of people for that mm-hmm. that area oh I know yeah, I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah, it's somebody sitting on somebody's lap. <laughs> and somebody sitting on their lap, and someone sitting on their lap. And so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, with this population growth, you would also need to put the spaces for the dead. And also the church graveyards are in London are starting to fill very quickly because of this. Well, yeah, you got eight, five, you know, eight, five, four thousand. You got eighty-five people sitting on your lap, like you're right. gonna, you, you're gonna quit breathing eventually. <laughs> well, yeah, but because at this time you're having multiple epidemics of cholera, TB, the flu in general. You know, people are just constantly fucking sick because with these only places to be buried in urban centers is your graveyard at your church. The problem is those bodies need time to decompose where's all that matter going it's going into the ground where's the water come from the water table under the ground so everyone is getting sick from these bodies being decomposed these decomposing bodies oh nasty and cholera was one of the biggest outbreaks that happened and I'll get into that in a minute but at this time it was a common practice for them to dig up graves and reuse them because of limited space and people were just buried in cloth instead of a casket unless you could afford one obviously buried in cloth like just regular ass like canvas cloth sheet like burlap or something it couldn't find it just said cloth in the specify okay. i would be like so they from, would just be wrapped in the cloth and immediately put into the into mm-hmm. the earth okay but if you could afford it in this time your coffin was more than likely dug back up and broken up and used for firewood as long as as with your bones, would be burned and ground up to be used as fertilizer or they could have been possibly placed in the ossuary with inside the church. And another practice, which, you know, is very taboo to today's standards was, is that the fresher bodies would more than likely be chopped up to help speed up the decomposition uh, process. Uh They try and process as many bodies as they had to do. So some smaller something is, the less time it's going to take. So with the space being an issue as of putting the dead and medical knowledge not being as what it is today, uh, every time they were digging up these bodies, they were also releasing the bacteria and fungi that causes illnesses. Yeah. So the decaying matter that was also seeping into the water supply was causing epidemics like cholera, like I mentioned earlier. Right. And the cholera epidemics in this time period were quite deadly. 1831 in the United Kingdom and is in entirety cholera cholera would kill 51,000 people 7,000 of these deaths alone were in the city of London okay so compared to like one of our surrounding cities Mm -hmm. um like what how big would you compare London so the 51,000, this was for the entire country. 7,000 okay. people was in London alone. Okay, okay. So that, where we live now probably is pretty close <clears throat> to this entire number. 
Okay. By 1832, Parliament would understand how much of a huge safety concern this is for the citizens of London, so they would establish a new law that would create seven large municipal-owned cemeteries outside the city limits of London, and they would also close off any further burials inside the church graveyards. Okay. And this is basically where our modern cemetery design comes from. Uh, these seven cemeteries would follow what's called a rural or, a rural or garden design, and there, but there's actually like seven different styles of cemetery design, but I'm only going over the three or four that most commonly we see here in the United States. Okay. Uh, the rural or garden cemeteries could also can also be found inside the city limits, but fully landscaped with planned out planting of flowers and trees, along with bushes and have a perimeter fence as well. So, for example, Crown Hill that I covered in episode 3 would be one of these garden-slash-rural designs. Uh, they are commonly found on, on the outskirts because the land would be a lot cheaper to acquire in the country when building these cemeteries. But with the cost that came with these garden cemeteries, only the rich could afford to be buried in them. Well, of course. I'm sure you are curious on what an urban cemetery would be, since I just covered what a rural cemetery is. Yeah. Uh, this would be your church graveyards for the most part. And they call that rural cemetery? The church graveyards would be your urban because oh, they're urban. within the Duh. they're within inside the city limits already established and okay. everything. Um, what we see commonly here, other than the garden style, would also be a lawn and the lawn beam design, which they're basically the same thing with a very small difference. Okay. So I'm just putting them both together because it's the same fucking thing for the most part. Um, starting with lawn style, because that's the, basically the foundation for the other. Um, this is more more likely you could you would be buried if you couldn't afford to be buried in the garden or rural style. Uh, the lawn style is very flat and all the markers are just below ground level so the mowers won't hit them when they go to mow. Okay. Um, going to Mishawaka... Sometimes we pass one where you see no headstones. That's your lawn-style cemetery. <clears throat> okay, that makes sense. Um, decorations are usually prohibited in inside these lawn-style cemeteries because of mowing. They're going to be in the way. Um, so they're generally removed by groundskeepers, and, of course, families are not going to be too thrilled about that. Even, But it's in you know, on the sign when you come in, so... Yeah. You fucked around and you found out for the most part. Better, right. Better way to put it. Um, these lawn-style cemeteries, they are still decorated with trees and bushes, but they're put more into a, like, smaller garden type of setting on the perimeter. Okay. Or maybe in the center. Uh, this type of design would become more popular during, during and after World War II. Now, the lawn bean cemetery, it's the same thing. But this is most commonly what you think of when you hear the term cemetery, where the the headstone is above ground and adjacent to the grave for mowers still to get in between. Okay. So this yep. is like, that is the most common style of cemetery you see in the United States, but much older ones like Crown Hill is more likely the garden style because mm -hmm. the way that place is landscaped. Yeah, they definitely mapped that out. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to finish, I wanted to originally finish this up with, like, the meaning of symbols on headstones, but it's, like, a list of, like, 50-plus different meanings for each thing. 
that oh it's damn. like 50 different symbols but there's like two to three different things for each one and i'm not gonna sit here and read so through all that. depending on whoever buried the person that's there they chose what that symbolism was for yeah because sources were all <laughs> over the place with <laughs> that because like i know one of the things you were most interested about was the tree stump yes ones and it basically was part of the victorian period as a movement of funerary art to get away from the giant obelisks and the mausoleums and stuff like that to try and simplify things. Didn't you say that was like for, for like family burials? Um, it's basically yes, like the because family like tree. if you see, yeah, it's basically what they were trying to symbolize it off of. It was the family tree of, okay. As a tr family grow, as a tree grows from an acorn, the family grows as well too. So that they would have like what you would say is a short off branch where okay. it's cut down to the trunk would symbol like depending on how many branch shores there were that's how many family members are supposed to be buried there oh and they would also become synonymous with a organization called wood the woodsmen of america and eventually become known as woodsmen of the world and they were a order almost like a fraternal order like the elks or the eagles okay to supply insurance for the working man in case he was killed you know on the job and there was financial support for his family afterwards yeah they would offer a tree themed headstone free of charge when they first originally would become this organization and but over time if I remember correctly in the 1920s it was they would put in a hundred dollars towards your head tree themed headstone if you put their organization logo on the tree stump branding Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for the most part sponsorship basically yeah. so people were sellouts since the fucking 1800s <laughs> <laughs> um one of the things that was a symbolism between this tree stone and the broken pillar is that if it's at an angle it's supposed to be a meaning of a life cut short uh, if there it's a three stacked logs it's the meaning of the child it's a child's grave and there was one picture i did find of a, an entire family plot that's marked out with fallen, like, full-size logs cut from stone. Oh, damn. Like, you've seen some family plots where it's got a marked-out perimeter and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, their perimeter was marked out in stone, in tree stone. Wow. I can only imagine the wealth of that family at this time to have that. Yeah. Um, so, with that one little fun fact out of the way, I need to make a fucking intro to fun facts for us. You do. Because we keep saying it that way every episode when we use that term, <laughs> fun facts. Um, so starting off my fun fact here section is, did you know that Sears and Montgomery Ward sold tombstones? I did not. Yes. So, But I do know the little, the little thing about Walmart. Did you put that in there? No, I did not. Oh, yeah. Walmart. You can buy caskets on Walmart.com. Oh, you can buy anything off the internet anymore. You can get those on From Amazon. From Walmart, though. You can buy caskets on Amazon. Remember? But that's Amazon. They're there for everything. Yeah. I remember when we used to From listen. dildos to caskets. Yeah. I don't think that's what they meant by A to Z, but anyhow. Oh. Uh, yeah. Sears and Roebuck would actually take on the traditional funeral parlor with their tombstones and monuments mailer. And they would advertise it as a catalog of memorial art in granite and marble. Their prices would actually come close to beating out normal funeral parlor prices, allowing more people to participate in a custom ordering of headstones, which was usually for the wealthy and the elite during this time. Zeres would advertise this as prices within the reach of your pocket pocketbook 
and in designs heretofore possible to only the wealthy. Sears would offer simple white granite markers for as low as $8.60, but of course they went into fancy dancy inflation calculator that I got, and it comes out to be $284.77. Which is still very, very cheap for a headstone, so these must have been very small. Oh, in this ads, they had the dimensions, the articles I read didn't have Mm. dimensions, they just, of course, just said small. Um, They would offer... Much larger headstones starting at $113 or just over $3,700. Sears would sell these much larger stones cut from the granite as from the best quarries from the Berry Mountains of Vermont. And also white Rutland Italian marble with the best developed strata veins of the Rutland District of Vermont. They would even send sample pieces to you for $0.75, cents, equaling up to $24 today. Are you done with that little piece? No, I'm not yet. Okay, so when you're done, I have a question. Okay. Um, their competitor, Montgomery Ward, would join in on this during the 1920s, but by 1952, Sears and Montgomery Ward would stop offering tombstones by mail. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, is this the thing that you posted in the Dark Windows podcast yes, it group is. for Kevin? To be like the Kevin's just be like, huh, no shit. Yeah. I know something that you may not know. Right. Okay. I mean, that was but, that part, right? Because right, when I was reading it, it was like maybe they don't really give too much thought about it, seeing the stone quarries mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah, I kind of turned a little bit stalkerish, I guess you could say. Correct. But that technically I have one of the Kevin's addresses anyhow. Which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> um also if you haven't watched Dark Windows or listened to it rather. Go do that. Yeah. There's another little fun thing from the same region as well, too, that I found out. The headstones that they use in the National Cemeteries like Arlington or Great Lakes that we visited more than once come from Barrie, Vermont as well, too. Oh, really? For the, for the last 20 years, they came from the quarries of Barrie, Vermont. Ah, so the quite possibly the ones that we saw in the Great Lakes National mm-hmm. Cemetery came from there. Yeah, they've been supplying them for the last 20 years or so, so pretty sure. Sorry, we have really uh, rambunctious shop kitties today. Yeah, if you can hear them running around and meowing and just being stupid. Yeah, I'm sure Salem's probably going to fucking break something again. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Right. And Lagosi is trying to climb the counter, but he looks like he may fail. No. He are, you, are you fucking done yet, guy? Nope. <laughs> um, six feet deep for a grave has multiple different origins as well. One of the theories is that during the plagues of the 1660s, the Lord May of London ordered all graves to be at least six feet deep to slow the spread of disease. Along with the slowing of the spread of the disease, it also was to believe to keep animals out, keep animals from digging up bodies. But with modern cadaver dogs, this is clearly not the case because they can smell human <clears throat> remains at least six feet deep or, di- or farther down. Yeah. It's also believed that burying bodies at six feet deep was also to help to deter grave robbers from stealing valuables and also to keep medical students from digging up bodies for the for use for medical studies like you know extracting zydrate and no could be maybe it's with low glass vials yeah <laughs> and i'm sure someone's like what the fuck are they talking about and then there's my favorite one well, one and of my favorite that and movies. i'm sure somebody else is probably <clears throat> singing the song along side drake comes in a little glass vial a little glass vial a little glass vial and i only ever watched it the one time and how the fuck can i remember that 
I love that song. Best part that of that whole movie. The best part is when her Paris Hilton. Fil- Paris Hilton's face falls right yeah. the fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And so to finish our the next part, you know, our little fun facts, there's a couple of different very unique headstones that I found during the research researching this. Okay. In Wilsley, Ontario, Dr. Samuel Bean would bury his two wives, whom he had at different times, side by side with a crossword tombstone. He died at sea, falling off of a ship, heading to Cuba before he could tell anyone how to read his cryptic headstone for his two widow, his two wives. In the 1970s, a 94-year-old woman would actually crack the code, and to read it, you would have to start with the seventh character on the seventh row down, reading in a spiral fashion. And they actually did put it in what, how it, how it is actually read. In memoriam. Henrietta, first wife of S. Bean, M.D., who died 27th September 1865, aged 23 years, 2 months, and 17 days. And Susanna, his second wife, who died the 27th April 1867, aged 26, 10 months, and 15 days. Two wives, two better wives, one man never had. They were gifts from God, but are now in heaven. May God help me, S. B., to meet them there. Huh. That's cute. Yeah. So I'll be posting a picture of yeah. the headstone. In Savannah, Georgia, you will find two, find the graves of Richard and Katherine Dotson in the runway, in the middle of runway 10 for Savannah International Airport. During World War II, the airport needed to extend its runway, but came across a cemetery holding close to about 100 graves. The family refused to remove, to move Richard and Katherine but they did move the rest of the remains that they did find. But since it is illegal to move graves without the surviving family's consent, they were incorporated into the runway, which can still be seen on the tarmac runway now when you Google the pictures for it. That's crazy. Is it still a used runway? Yeah, it's a still so very active just, airport. So you could just be like, you know, what do they call it? Taxiing down the lane. Coming <clears throat> in for your final approach. And then you see these two headstones. You're like, shit. Hopefully this isn't like an yeah. omen that they died right here because, right. you know, they're fucking pilots sucked. Yeah, there is a very unique lawn style cemetery in the Wasson Cemetery in France. Uh, there are actually five burial plots for American servicemen of World War One, labeled A, B, C, and D. E you cannot f- is not even on a map, but is the fifth one. This is known as the House of Shame. Why? The House of Shame is a, is a plot holding the remains of 98 dishonorably discharged United States soldiers that committed war crimes during World War II. Uh, these dishonored dead crimes were anywhere from rape, murder, and desertion. Uh, this plot is hidden from public view, and like I said, it's not marked on any map. Uh-huh. Uh, they discourage public entrance to this area. Because of them deserting the United States military yeah. and, the, and being committed of war crimes. The only way you can access through the to access this plot is through the groundskeeper office or, you know, weasel your way through the hedges, which you're probably going to get more trouble doing that. Right. And there's no names on any of these plaques that are in this plot of land. There's only a number on it, and that's it. And also... No United States flag is allowed to be flown over this plot, and they actually have the what would they would say the backs of these plot markers have their backs turned to the west, having their back towards the U.S. flag. Oh, 
Okay, then. And the symbolism of them turning their back on their country for the most part. So their country turned their back on them. Yes. Ah, okay. In Irwin, Pennsylvania, World War II veteran, in a more positive way of mentioning World War II now, uh, this veteran by the name of George Swanson loved his car so much that he would actually be buried in it. Swanson would actually buy up multiple plots around his original one that he purchased for him and his wife in Brush Creek Cemetery, his white 1984 Corvette. When Swanson passed in 1994, he would be cremated and his urn would be buckled into the driver's seat with the song Release Me from Engel, Engelbert Humperdinck playing on the, on the tape deck as he was lowered, his car was lowered into the into the ground. Oh, my goodness. Um, even with the safety concern for health and safety for visiting family members and his neighbors, as they would say, they actually did drain all the fluids from the vehicle. So, Oh, I would hope so. Yeah, uh, I would. Just be curious to see what the condition of that car is, looks like now, being in the ground for almost, what, 30 years now? 20 years now? Yeah, I'm sure it's been crushed at least a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little bit, depending, they just said he was buried. I'm, I'm assuming that he had to have a custom vault made for it, too. Probably. But then again, he was cremated, so he didn't have to worry about embalming fluids and things. Well, I don't know, because there's yeah. been um, a picture that I've seen of an old man that got buried on his Harley. Mm-hmm. And they had, <clears throat> sorry, they had just like him sitting on the motorcycle mm -hmm. and his, uh, like encasement basically was like super right. thick seen the plexiglass. Same, same picture as well, but I'm not wondering if it wasn't put in a vault as well too. I don't know. So I'm sure probably a lot of us probably have seen the pictures of this one. It's in Lynette, Alabama. You will find the dollhouse grave of little Nadine Earls. Uh, she would die... On December 18th, 1933, just days before Christmas, and her only wish that year was to have a dollhouse. And her father was busy working on trying to get her this dollhouse when she died. Don't Couldn't find out what she had died from, but her parents made sure that her Christmas wish that year was still granted even in death. Her house, the original house was made from wood, but when she was moved to the family plot so she wouldn't be alone, they rebuilt her dollhouse grave out of brick. And it's complete with windows, striped awnings, even a mailbox. They would plant flowers during the summer and decorate it with a Christmas wreath and lights during the winter months. Her parents would fill the dollhouse up with toys and dolls up until their death. And then the city of Lynette still carries on the update, updating of toys and the upkeep of her grave of little Nadine to this day still. Aww. And to finish this out, I do have some more little phrases and that some of their origins for the meaning of death or to be killed for the most part. Okay. And the very last one I found the most interesting, so that's why I made it last. Okay. Wearing a pint overcoat would be used by American gangsters. Okay. Um, the charity organization, the Salvation Army, would use the phrase promoted to glory when one of their members has passed on. That is a doornail would be used by Charles <laughs> Dickens in A Christmas Carol for the first time ever. It's also believed that cowboys would use the phrase went for a Texas cakewalk when somebody was hanged. <laughs> I've never heard that. But that's awesome. Uh, uh, hobos in their in their own language, they would use hop on the last rattler as a way. The meaning of death rattler being a train like in the Polar Express, the hobo that's on the top okay, yeah. talking about, yep. you know, about how long he's been riding this rattler. He's me. He's talking about the train itself. Sleeping with the fishes would become popularized by the Godfather. 
When losing a pet, you would say they are they have or they cross the rainbow bridge. In uh, 19th century England, once again, Yay. you know we gotta have <laughs> Victorians. <laughs> they, they said that they used the term "pop one's clogs," which means yeah. I was like, "What the fuck?" Um, clogs are a very popular shoe at this time, and they were probably the most valuable thing that you owned, also. So. When Pop One's clogs means is that a working man would tell his family to like, possibly take all his clothes and his belongings to a pod shop to pay for his funeral. Mm. Uh, the term bite the dust is more likely to become more popular with Queen's hit of the same name. Oh, with Queen, another one bites the dust. Mm -hmm. And I found this one most interesting. Um, in Australian, with the perception of how toxic American food can be with all of our preservatives and whatnot we put in on them. Um, you could say that you have eaten a Twinkie when somebody's passed it away. Eaten a Twinkie. Eaten a Twinkie. But what does that mean? I guess how to it's in a wordplay of how toxic American food can be because of all the preservatives and other toxic chemicals that we find in the food. So they're saying our food is so bad that it killed them? We know that it is. Well, we, well, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying that's what they're, that's basically what they're saying. It's, you know, it's its perception on how toxic our food can be here in the United States, you know. <laughs> that's strange. So yeah, that's a little bit about cemeteries and I guess some fun facts on, you know, death for the most part. Gotta love fun facts about death. Yeah. I mean, some people are like, ooh, super ick. We're going to not talk about that. It's something that we all need to stop shying away from. I mean, don't fear the reaper, right? Right. Even though if you need more cowbell. Right. Anyways. Anyways. So That was very interesting. I didn't know that much about cemeteries. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't know, like, I knew the difference between... A cemetery and a graveyard but i didn't know that there were so many types of right. cemetery which seem all kind of dependent on their layout and what's yeah. added to them or not added to them right and say so, and a monument graveyard is like the one that you find mostly in new orleans okay and because in new orleans is what the monument one is because them being below sea level you can't bury the dead because their bodies are going to pop up once an area of the floods back out no, i want to visit those so oh, i'm bad. sure you do so bad i just want to see how big that pyramid one that nicholas cage has already pre-built in new orleans yeah we ever go to new orleans i want to go to the cemetery that Anne rice is no, i figured in. that'd be the case and no but like the the um plantation that interview with the vampire mm -hmm. was filmed that is down there like there's a lot of things down there that i would love oh, to go I'm sure and see there's a whole lot of things there like same with salem as well too yes i don't know maybe now we're gonna be start becoming more of a tourist and go visiting these huge giant cemeteries and see some of the more unique graves i would love to i would fucking love to go to the hollywood forever cemetery no like that's bucket list right very morbid bucket list but that's bucket i would yeah i'd absolutely we, love to go because we don't do normal things in this house no we don't store or whatever you want to say we never have we never do normal normal things inside the store no because never I mean, have. it's called the macabre emporium for a reason it is <laughs> i don't know about you sir but i'm thinking it might be time to close up the emporium for today i agree so with that said remember to creep it real okay bye bye adios Bichachos. No, you're going to cut the last part. Oh, out. adios. <laughs> and there was another term, was the big adios. What? 
and Pimp and Big Adios was another sling term, oh. but there was no origin listed. Huh. All right. Anyway, bye. Bye. Our website is live. Make sure you check it out at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at macabreemporium. Like and subscribe to us on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. And if you have any stories of paranormal true crime, whether it be local or a story you you know you may have heard, weird history you want us to look into and possibly do an episode on or include within an episode, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. And remember to follow, rate, review, and share wherever and whenever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. So, with that said, I think it might be time we close up the Emporium for today, Sarah. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do that again. Okay. <laughs>